For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Good evening. Welcome to today's Entrepreneur, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with F.L. Montreal's Josh Miller. Good evening, honey. Hello, honey. <laughs> We're talking about honey tonight, if you can... Uh... Guess that. It's that Nick Melka's turn this evening. He's from Miel MTL. What a fascinating business. I've, I've seen, I don't want to say buzz. Don't say buzz. I've seen, I've heard some buzz about Miel MTL uh, in the news in recent years, and they're super cool. They, they put, uh, um, Beekeepers set up beehives, some people's yeah. beehives on people's rooftops and all around the city, and they collect the, the the honey and they sell it in stores. It's made in Montreal honey and has a social purpose as well. So we'll dig into that tonight. Absolutely, there's uh, lots of bees that uh, that need need Nick's help. So uh, great for him giving back. And later we're going to talk uh, a bit about PR and uh, specifically media coaching. And uh, you'll interview me at the end of the show, Josh. Dan, we're going to grill you and figure out uh, those challenges for entrepreneurs if uh, when they ever need to, you know, get into the media, whether it's written, whether it's talking, whether it's on radio, TV. We're going to tackle it. I, I I always say whenever I go into these th- sessions, I'm not the best broadcaster myself but my favorite thing to do is to help people be be better at broadcasting and to be to, to do this media coaching it's a lot of fun too and I'll, I'll talk about what the process is give you a little behind the scenes uh, a little later in the program but first as usual entrepreneurial news and notes of the week and let's begin josh with five reasons why you're why you should team up with another business uh, this one is from inc.com and discusses uh, the benefits of uh, mergers or collaborations well the reality is you know and Partnerships can be a struggle. It can be great. It can be crap. Uh, but if you're really not the best at certain things or you want to uh, expand on something that you're not an expert in but it's it's ancillary, it, it correlates really well with what you do, then yeah, then then finding then finding another partner could be good. So this article I read, and it, again, it's not – partnerships aren't for everybody, but, you know, the, here's, here's some things that uh, – that, that you can think about when you're going in, when you're thinking about teaming up with somebody else. Will the partnership stimulate your creativity? Are you alone in your thought process, or can you get the juices going of somebody's in, in the, in the corral, uh, corroborating space? You want to expand your consumer base. Again, if, you, if they have, a, if they have a, a great network and you are struggling to get into that, that network, well, then maybe there's a great opportunity there. Uh, maybe any other additional resources. Maybe you have a great idea, but you don't necessarily have the great people, uh, great people skills or the great talent around you. And maybe somebody else does, but doesn't have a great product. So could be a good partnership there. I guess at the end of the day, it's if you have weaknesses that you can strengthen by adding a partner. And a partner could be a strategic alliance. It can be a, a, you know another company and you merge. It can just be somebody that you work with that can be a key person. If you have a weakness that you can fill the gap and, and you can realize that you don't do everything great, then then definitely you should consider it. There's there's no question about it. Still on the partnership theme, you wanted to bring up this uh, one from uh, Fast Company. Five questions to ask before starting any business partnership. And this is and there's probably about fifty five questions you should ask before before uh, before adding a new partner because it is like going into a marriage. There's you know if you're going to be business partners with some and Dan, you live through this, I live through this day in day out. You want to ask the right questions. You want to make sure that you can work side by side together, that you can complement each other, and that you're not going to hopefully not end up in a in a divorce one day. So here here is just a few questions uh, from from the article, 
um, of course, motivations. Like, what's your motivation to get in there to begin with? Because if you and the and potential partner have different motivations, it's never going to work. If one guy just wants to make money and go home, and the other one wants to build a vision, you might not be so compatible. If uh, if how do you see dividing up ownership? You know, it's kind of input versus output. If you have an unequal partnership, yet you're earning the same dollars at the end of the day, that's just going to harbor a lot of resentment, and and it's not, and it's going to go nowhere very fast. I, I guess it's also about what's your vision. You know, what's important to you right now, and, and hopefully you can see beyond that. And then, have you actually worked through? How long have you known this person? Have you worked through a difficult issue with them before? Because chances are something's going to come up that you're not going to agree on. So how do you work that out? Uh, you know, Dan, I, again, we, we've had, we have, I have many more partners than you've had in your life. <laughs> and at the end of the day, you got to be direct. You got to be frank, but you have to understand the full situation, getting stuck in the trees and not being able to see the forest of that 35,000 foot level might not work very well for a partnership always. So I, I only have one partner currently. Uh, how many do you have right now? Uh, uh 19. 19. Other so, than my wife, <laughs> you mean? <laughs> That's true. So how do you, uh, it must be difficult sometimes to get everyone on the same page. Do you, you must have some pretty interesting uh, partner meetings. Well, the reality is is not everybody will always be on the same page. And we have a smaller group that really runs the day-to-day operations of the firm. At some point, you have to trust your partners. Because if you get 20 people in on all issues, nothing's ever going to happen. You're never going to move forward. As a matter of fact, you'll move backward very quickly. So there has to be an understanding, a trust that comes with it. And at the end of the day, hopefully everybody understands that the strengths are being used where the strengths are and the weaknesses are being left on the side. Speaking of partnerships, my I want to ask uh, an entrepreneurial question of the week here, and we haven't done this in a couple of weeks, but it's an issue that I've, I've found coming up more often uh, among some millennial acquaintances, and that is millennial-owned businesses doing all right. They want to get to the next level, and they're attracted by VCs, venture capital, um, you know, uh, various types of organizations that want to, want to invest. And in some cases, they're offered uh, you know a lot of money and a lot of sort of flashy things. But in many cases, VCs uh, may not be in it for the long haul. Um, could you give us some advice for millennial entrepreneurs on what would be a red flag if a VC is looking to invest in you? And, and at what point do you, do you say, do you turn down the money and do you say, no, I'm going to stick on my own? Really difficult question because everybody's circumstances are different how much have you invested in your company and that you're about to go bankrupt so you need the money to survive? How much do you really believe in your vision because venture capitalists and sometimes private equity firms, and they're not exactly the same, although they'll throw them in the same boat just for the moment, they are really looking at the numbers. They're looking at turnaround, how do we get in, how do we make it better, more profitable, and then what's our exit strategy? Most, I'll say private equity in this case, and definitely some venture capitalists, most private equity, they want to, they, as they get in, they're looking on how to get out. Uh, not necessarily within 12 months, but certainly, you know, four, five, seven, eight years later is they want to turn it around and, and get out. So I think, I think the question is, what's the vision? What's the vision of both? And do they want to, do they want to continue including you as part of that company? Or is it, they see what you do, they are very turned on by it, but don't, don't necessarily love you and have an exit strategy uh, for you, not necessarily for the company. So I think it requires some really difficult decisions and, or should I say, discussions to be had with the VCs, with the PEs, 
uh, of the world and to find out where your role is, to find out what is that almost like an, almost like an employment contract. Uh, I mean, certainly if you're going to maintain ownership, there's, there's a whole shareholders agreement, which has its own complexities and, you know, buy, sell and all that jazz. Find out if you guys are on the same page with your vision. I think that's really the most part, unless you're really strapped for cash and you just need to get out because that mortgage payment is coming and you're otherwise you're going to lose your house and whatever else. So there, I'm sure there are various motivating factors. It all comes back to, we say this so often, know your audience. So know the person in front of you. And if you don't know them, grill them, grill them, grill them, grill them to the point where you can, as if you're entering a marriage to the point that it's going to work together or it's not going to work together. Yeah, and I'm telling people my generation too, just on a personal level, you know, don't be don't be afraid to stick it out. You know, there's there's going to be a lot more opportunity down the road as baby boomers retire and start to move their capital a little bit. You don't necessarily have to take the best first deal that comes along. You definitely don't. You really have to weigh your options. And if you're not sure, don't be afraid to ask somebody. Whether it's whether it's your, your friends, uh, other entrepreneurs, your professionals, uh, it doesn't really matter. If you are unsure. Get somebody else's opinion. Even if you are sure sometimes, get somebody else's opinion because van- different vantage points can mean different things. Okay, today's Entrepreneur on CJD 800 will begin in just a few minutes talking about honey and talking with Nick, Nick Melka of Miel MTL. He is up next and talking PR and the importance of media coaching later this hour. professional advice with a personal touch consult fl fuller landau chartered professional accountants and business advisors click on flmontreal.com welcome back to today's entrepreneur inspiring stories from outstanding business people dan delmar and fl montreal's josh miller with you and let's talk some honey with nick melka of miel mtl welcome to cjd nick thanks for having me guys our pleasure and the very toughest question of the night nick as we do each week just to so the listener understands what is Miel MTL? So Miel MTL is all about bringing back the bees and the honey and better than ever. And as people know, bees are on the decline year after year. Bees are dying over 50%. And so without bees, life on Earth can only continue for so long. Uh, so one of the things that we wanted to do was be able to have bees within the organizations and cities that we work in to make, best make a difference. At the same time, we want to be able to have a honey that's healing. And something from the areas that people are in so they can relate to it and have something exciting. So now, how did you get into this? This started how long ago? So this business started five years ago. This is and why five. did this business start? Where, where was the inception of this? So a uh, young 19-year-old me wanted to start a surf shop. And I was like any student in college uh, with the ideas of maybe being an entrepreneur one day, but at the same time studying something I was interested in. So I was studying psychology. And unfortunately, from uh, from vacationing in, in different areas of the U.S., I contracted parasitic illnesses, one of them being Lyme disease. And ended up so sick that I was on many prescription medicines, over a 1,000 pills a month, and ended up finding myself in hospitals with many specialists on specific type of medication to stop producing stomach acid and having heart pains. And after being in the hospital for the fifth time, uh, being kicked out of school, uh, being just 20 years old, I wanted to get better. And so I went to see a naturopath and a Chinese medicine doctor. And I asked him for things that were healing. And one of the things he recommended amongst the many was raw honey. And he told me, he said, Nick, raw honey has enzymes in it. And enzymes would create all this cellular energy in the body. And this raw honey, through traditional medicine, is used as 
medicine. It's very healing. So I said, Alex, I'm so not well. I'm willing to try anything. So I started taking the raw honey in hot water. And I was eating under 500 calories a day. I was bedridden, 23 hours a day in bed on medications, not well, not happy, not eating, not exercising. My life was upside down. And uh, I started taking this honey. And within three days, my whole life changed. I couldn't believe it. I started eating, started exercising. I started seeing people. I started being happy again. And I started looking into honey. And I noticed that each honey was unique depending on the flowers it came from. If the flowers were from spring and had dandelions, they could have those properties of dandelions soothing digestively. If it comes from the tea tree flowers in Australia, it'll have antibacterial properties. So I started a honey collection and I started getting better. And I had the idea of having my own honey therapeutic to give back. And when I started telling people about this idea, everyone said, Nick, I want a jar of your honey. So now there's there's so much information you just you just filled in about specific types of honey. How do you gain this knowledge? How did you gain that knowledge? You didn't did, you didn't go to school to study bees, or you did? I don't know. So I was in university in psychology, and uh, while I was getting better, I started watching videos and learning about bees, honey, and beekeeping. And I learned that the bees are so extravagant. They not only help pollinate our fruits and vegetables, they also help create the seeds and the flowers. So bees are essential for life on Earth, and they also have a venom. And most bees don't sting. Bees are quite friendly, but if you agitate them enough, they will. And the venom that the bees have contains proteins, apamin, and melatonin. These proteins are known to kill the parasitic infection of Lyme disease. So when I was starting to have my own honey and the ideas of having bees, I learned that through having bees and beekeeping, I could get better. And so the concept of having bees started through wanting to give back, have a healing honey, give to the community, the bees, the planet. And the idea of a business was not even in the picture at that point. So when did that, when did the idea of a business start coming into play? Yes, it was about saving the bees at first. Yes, there, there definitely, there's a, there's a drop in the bee population and there's, there's definitely issues surrounding that. So great on the social responsibility part, but at some point, like, like you're saying, it can or did become a business. What was that turning point? So, like any business or any project, you're going to have expenses. And I understood that to have some honey, I need bees. And so I backtracked the project. I understood how much honey would I want to produce, maybe 100 jars to sell, maybe 100 jars for myself. So I had the concept of having a project of selling 200 jars of honey. I asked myself, what do I need to produce those 200 jars? So I figured out about seven colonies of bees could be adequate. And I had two spaces, one in Westmount and one in the South Shore, to have these bees with permits. And so through the research of learning about the honey and the bees, I figured that we could have these bees within these areas and then learn more from beekeepers, from books, from different areas of the world, integrate this knowledge and build on that. Through learning that the honey bees were going to have to come from another beekeeper, I started learning and messaging people and understanding the equipment and bees it took to get started. And I was able to figure out it was going to cost about $2,000 for the first year. Um, the, the cost was going to be about uh, 200 jars worth. So I figured from the first 200 jars I produce, I could sell it and have a project or a business in year one. <laughs> and at least a break even at that point. And a break even. And is, it, is it difficult to get a permit to have a beehive on your premises or roof? So with any kind of permits, first it's going to take the research. Um, it's never given to you. It's going to take some hours of digging, going through books, going through laws, and finding out what you can and can't do. Sometimes it will take contacting the right agency. So for us, it was through the Ministry of Agriculture of Quebec. And they made it quite clear what you needed to have bees. 
uh, what you needed to keep them, maintain them, and have the permits. And with a simple form and with the proper resources, you could get installed having uh, everything uh, adequate. So one of the things that we did was we installed our first beehives in the two areas that were registered, and we made sure that when we started our business and our foundation, we did everything from the right step forward. Whether it took more time, more cost, and more effort, we wanted to make sure we had that strong foundation. How many beehives do you have today now? This year we have 102 beehives. How long was the progression? Did it go, did it go steadily <laughs> up, or was it like, okay, now I've mastered it, now we can go from 20 to 100? <laughs> So in the first year, we had those first seven beehives, and, and uh, I was so happy with all the, the progress we got. And the worst thing happened, uh, all the bees died that winter. And one of the things that we learned was it's not as easy as you think just to have bees. It's a very tough climate. It gets to minus 30, minus 40 degrees Celsius in winter with strong winds for up to seven months a year. It's dark. So we had to have bees not only in this modern-day environment, but also in this extreme climate. So it made us start off on the right foot from taking a lot of research and analysis to make sure that we have the right bees, the right techniques, and the right resources to move forward within Quebec. And from there, we were able to establish a good understanding of uh, every year we might have to try out different genetics of bees to find the ones that are best suited for the climate. And also, as we work with schools, daycares, hospitals, we want to have bees that are very friendly. So friendly that any one of our beehives today, you can go to and pick up any of the bees. And we are so confident in that, that we want to make sure that we teach and make sure that other people can learn that beehives can be managed in a way that's very positive and integrated. Thanks, you know, and so much more to talk about between marketing and, and you know, where, where do you go on, where do you put them in the stores? And I know you were thinking about online sales and maybe taking them away. So we're going to tackle that shortly. Many questions for Nick Melka of Miel MTL, and later we're going to talk about media coaching as part of your brand ambassador's public relations activities. So that is on the way on Today's Entrepreneur. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Welcome back to Today's Entrepreneur, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with FL Montreal's Josh Miller, and we're chatting this evening with Nick Melka of Miel MTL. In a little bit, Josh will talk some PR and how to media coach your own brand ambassador or spokesperson. Now that is on the way. But first, chatting with Nick uh, about his business. And um, Nick, it's interesting. You were talking about the health effects and how this uh, benefited you. Um, how, how's your health now, by the way? And so you've, you've had many years of being on a honey regime um, do, do you, do, do you have some, uh, some signs to hit us with about the, uh, some of the benefits that you've seen over the years? Yeah. So raw honey is an incredibly healing food. Uh, it's one of the only foods in the world that's not only antibacterial, but also antiviral. Uh, traditionally medicine is only antibacterial. So there's a lot of things in the world that we can treat that, um, honey can treat. The other thing about honey that's very interesting is raw honey is one of the only sweeteners, if not the only sweetener on earth that's safe for people with diabetes. And so when the honey is not processed, it's actually assimilated in the body like a medicine. And so it helps with the antioxidants, cardiovascular system, regulate the blood sugar, give digestive enzymes, heal the organs and stomach lining, and give you the essential vitamins, amino acids, and minerals that you need. We have to do a little disclaimer. Of course, you have to consult your doctor if you have any of these ailments. Um, but how are you doing? You, you mentioned your Lyme disease earlier uh, in so the show. One of the most incredible things was after starting the LMTL, I discovered through honey that um, through healing yourself, 
you have so much opportunity. And it's just as an individual on this planet, I didn't think I could make a bunch of a difference. But five years later, I've contributed over 50 million honeybees, pollinating over 10 billion flowers, fruits, and vegetables. And so it showed me that healing myself and being able to do bigger things was very important. And so I took that path to be able to consistently eat well. And I learned the lesson that investing in yourself is the best investment. Now, you're you brought in numbers into the game. So I've, I've got to ask you, you know, you started this out. It's about giving back to the to the bee population, it's about saving the bees, uh, giving back uh, to, to health of society. What about from a, a pricing standpoint? You know, because you still, it does cost money to maintain the hives and all that. How do you determine or what, did you, how, what was the business model that you went into with trying to maintain all these hives? It's so interesting you ask that because people weren't always ready for bees and neither were people ready to pay for bees. So you have the double dilemma of trying to get people interested in a product that they're maybe not ready for or maybe not ready to have or pay for. So what we wanted to do was we wanted to make honey and bees exciting. We wanted to see people get excited and have passion about helping save the planet, having their own friendly bees, having their own rooftop or garden honey. Friendly bees, I like that. Friendly, friendly bees, bees and contributing not only to the environment, but to the community and to the greater good. And this whole excitement was what created the Have Your Own Hive partnership program. And through losing all our bees in the first year, we had to come up with an idea to get more bees. And so I asked myself, how can I get people involved? Why aren't people involved? And it's because people didn't have the opportunity. So I figured if I could offer people the opportunity through having permits, having the service, having their own bees and their own honey without the stress, and they're included in the venture, people would be interested. So we went from those seven beehives to zero to 37. And today we're at over 100. And so we're shifting over some of that bad into good and making sure that we can get people involved by giving people positive opportunities and excitement. So you mentioned you had a bad year. That, that explains the zero there. Uh, that's that, that must have been very uh, discouraging. How did you bounce back from that disappointment? So that loss was actually one of the most building blocks in our business and in my life. It made me understand that through bad, we can create good. And through down moments, we can reevaluate what we're doing and we can analyze how we can do it better. And so we learned that we need to develop new techniques to better winter the bees. And we also need to find the right bees that are suitable for the climate. 90% of the bees, from our experience, are brought in from the south to be able to have bees earlier in the season. Unfortunately, they're not always adapted for the cold climate. So one of the things we look at is working with local bees, local beekeepers, trading techniques, and making sure that in an industry, even if there's competition, working with the competition and finding specialization. So coming back to the pricing, what ended up being your pricing model? How did you figure out how you can at least break even? So what we figured was if we can include, let's say, 50 or 100 jars of honey with the beehive, we could price the jars at a price that's not only affordable, but that our retail partners, let's say a restaurant or a hotel or a health food store, could sell the honey, help pay for the bees, and help pay for their business, help pay for the employees, help community events, fundraising. So one of the big successes in our business was getting the pricing point where our retail partners or our partners could get the honey at, let's say, a couple dollars or more a jar, and then they could use that honey or for themselves, or they could use it to sell or fundraise. And that gave a lot of opportunity, and that changed the program from being an expense to a program that could be a profit and where you could see all your bees. I think that's, I think that's great. When you're, is that how you were marketing? Like if we switch gears to marketing, like how did you, how did you get the word out there? Was this, is this more, well, come and, and save the bees? Is it, it's good for your business? It's good for your health? Like what did you do for marketing that worked for you? 
So for the first thing in marketing was direct contact. We wanted to directly contact people that we thought were interested. So maybe restaurants or maybe families that were interested, direct contact. And through them, be able to touch bases on our, what our project was and see if people were interested. At the same time, it was equally valuable to reach people we didn't know. So we used social media, mainly Instagram and Facebook, to drive awareness. Now, with any business, you don't necessarily get direct sales from social media, but you get brand awareness. Mm -hmm. And for us, it's important for people to understand the project, to see that we're helping the bees, and to develop a reputation and connection with people who are like-minded. So did you always use the online media, the kind of new media? What about traditional media? Did that... So we focused on, from day one, we focused on social media as well as we focused on direct contact. And then we changed it up after time. We noticed that a lot of the people who were interested in bees were from uh, references, personal references. And so we wanted to make sure that our service or our product was so fantastic that people would talk about it. And if our honey is so great and people say, you have to try this honey, this honey is the best honey I've ever tried, it means a lot. And so we wanted our product in terms of the packaging, the look, the quality and the taste and what it stands behind to be so exciting that it speaks for itself and people will talk about it. And we call that the buzz. So we wanted to do. create the buzz. <laughs> so we wanted people to talk about our product, get excited about it. And if you have, let's say, 80 jars of honey from your hive, you're going to pass it on. So you wanted the jars to be the marketing. Did you, did you, do you sell online? So in the first few years, we sold online. And unfortunately, we didn't have the same success as others did. And there's a reason for it. Honey is heavy, it's expensive to ship, and one of the things is people were oftentimes going to their local health food stores for their honey. And so we noticed when we had the honey in the local retail stores, people from the neighborhood who never even knew about our honey came in and saw Myland honey, wow, that's incredible, I'd love to support this project, or I'd love to get that honey from Westmount or Plateau. And so we were getting customers and people who normally didn't buy honey to buy honey. And that's where we thought we fit in very nicely. And so at the same time, we wanted to make sure that when we marketed, we also marketed within the store because people who see our product and said, what's Miel de Montreal or what's this honey or why is it more expensive? They had to understand. So when we started putting signs and information with their honey and advertising online what it was and having a website, people understood more and were more likely to buy it and continue to use it. I think it's great. It's a, uh, it, there, there's so much about this, this and it's no longer a startup business, I don't believe, but definitely corporately social responsibility uh, comes into play and, uh, and it's great. So it's, it's a lot of aspects to it, a lot of details behind it, uh, but saving the bees is, is awesome. What a great buzz. Thanks very much, Nick. And Nick, we'll have your one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur in a few minutes. And coming up next, Josh, we're going to talk about PR and in specific media coaching as an essential part of your brand ambassador's uh, public activities. Now, Nick here is very polished. He doesn't need it. But a lot of entrepreneurs who put stuff out into the world may. And so you're going to interview me about that coming up next. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, Chartered Professional Accountants and Business Advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Inspiring stories from outstanding business people, Dan Delmar and FL Montreal's Josh Miller with you for today's entrepreneur. We'll have Nick Melka of Mel Miel MTL as one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur in just a few minutes. And uh, first, Josh, so let's talk a bit about uh, public relations. Public relations and, and media coaching. You know, Dan, we've been 
we're on our tenth season now. We've you know we've had some some of our guests that uh, maybe a little bit better speakers. Some are a little bit mm-hmm. uh, not so good. Uh, Nick tonight was was amazing. Super on the ball. Great eye contact too, Nick. By the way, you can't see that on the radio, but he he aced the eye contact. <laughs> uh, so so I guess I guess my first question to you, Dan, because you've been doing this for uh, uh, you know quite a number of years, is who needs media coaching? I mean, do entrepreneurs really need it? Any company, any any organization that has their uh, spokesperson or their president or the CEO out in public on a semi-regular basis needs to at least do the exercise once just to say that they've done it. And if you're, if you're, in media on a regular basis, it's it's basically essential because if you're if you're doing marketing and you're spending, you know, people spend five thousand dollars on Instagram these days. You know, take a little bit of the budget and work on your own presentation and your own sort of skills in terms of uh, communicating to media and how to sort of best send the message depending on which media you're in, which is very important too. Now, when you say out in the public, what does that mean? Is that out in the public, like you're on TV, you're on radio, or is that out in the public, you're in front of a group of your customers or suppliers? What does out in the public mean to you? It could be anything that is being, for my purposes, broadcast. So uh, we work with people that are sending messages on a regular basis, of course, electronically, social media, uh, print, TV, radio, podcasting. Um, anything really that require that's that requires an audience. And um, to to point out the most obvious thing, you know, I, I never considered myself the best broadcaster. That's why I never made a full time career of it here. But I, I am so good. Bad, Dan. Thank you. Bye, Mike. <laughs> Thanks. But I, I'm 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 good at the technical stuff. And I think w- one of my favorite things to do is to teach people how to be way better than I could ever be. You know, people that are bursting with personality, people that have a lot of knowledge. You know, people that are super passionate about their business, like Nick. You know, those people need, uh, I think, in at least once in a while, a refresher course, at least to sort of help focus your message and make sure you're communicating exactly what you you, you mean to communicate. So what does it mean to be coached? Like, what are the aspects that that entrepreneurs could or should work on in any particular session? Well, there's there's a very basic sort of presentation, right? You want to be a good speaker, and you want to be able, be able to be articulate and spat out your sentences better than I can right now and, and be that good spokesperson. But deeper than that, you want to be able to uh, to sort of outline your philosophy to, to your audience. And so you have to organize your thoughts. Yes, you do have to occasionally have talking points and those, yes, have to have marketing and business goals and sales goals and all that boring stuff. But you also have to communicate your personality and what makes you different, what makes you a leader in your industry. So we work on refining your, your communications in order for you to be uh, embraced and and believed also as a credible source among your peers. Because some people, it's not really natural to them, but the best way to be credible is to be natural, to be genuine. Are there ways or tricks that you can kind of train people to be a little more genuine, a little more themselves? That's a good question. Uh, how to be genuine. It's it's a very – that usually is not the problem when I go into those these situations. The, the problem tends to be how do you stop being not genuine? How do you stop faking it? in order to, to, to try to sell your message. And so that's, that's, the, that's the more challenging thing that I have to break down sometimes is let's get to your raw, honest view of, of whatever is going on here and refine it in a way that we can present to the public. Because if you're going in there um, sort of half-cocked and, and really fired up and full of gusto, it's not going to sound as articulate and as, as clear uh, as it did in, in earlier in the staff meeting. So you have to sort of figure out a way to, to, to harness all your knowledge and communicate it in a way that is uh, that is embraced by whichever media that you're on. So your message differs if you're on radio for an hour 
versus when you're on TV for five minutes versus when you're sending out a tweet. So you have to sort of figure out a way to, to, to adapt the message for the medium. And definitely, like you say, content is absolutely king. So is that sometimes, you know, when you're being genuine, you're not really thinking. Sometimes you just talk too much or you say too much. Uh, do you really have you really have to think before you go out there? This is you know not everybody has that natural ability to know when to when to speak and when to shut up, what to mm-hmm. share and what not to share. And you could be the best communicator. I mean, uh, Nick is a great example. He did so well tonight, and he was very clear and brought out his points very nicely. Um, but a lot of people don't know how radio or TV works behind the scenes. And so part of what someone like me can do is help you understand the technicalities of presenting your, your content in media. And one of those technicalities is, for, for instance, I get this a lot, uh, why didn't the interview say, hello, how are you? You know, I said, how are you? He didn't, he didn't say anything. Why not? And so I have to say, well, you know, when you only have four and a half minutes, it really has to be in and out, bang, bang. Keep your, your, your answers to 30 seconds and, and make sure you get those key, key talking points in and then get out. If it's another interview, then I'll say, well, here you have a bit more time to expand and to talk about your philosophy and your background and all that. If you're on Today's Entrepreneur, you have time to give out those longer, more detailed answers. If you're on an interview with CTV News Channel, a little less time. So it's all about uh, understanding the technicalities of what you're doing and what's going on behind the scenes, because there could be 10, 20 people who you don't see on TV who are all racing around uh, and trying to do their job properly, and you have to consider them too. How do you know if you're getting better. You know, you're, you're doing it the first time. It kind of was awkward. How do you know? Like, I, I, certainly the more times you, you speak in public and public, there's a big fear of public speaking. There's no, no sure. question about that. Uh, and there might, I'm sure there's a tons and tons of tricks that, that, that can be taught, but how do you know you're getting better? That's a great question. And the, the best way I could, I could answer that is, is to say that you'll know You'll know when you're when you when you get better. Just as you know when you're having a good conversation socially, you'll notice that the interview may be more engaged. They may ask you uh, different questions. They may be more affable. Uh, reading cues from your interviewers, I think, and responding to them is the next level in media coaching. So once you have your presentation down, the next level is how do I better myself and be able to switch it up and work on the fly and be a bit more spontaneous. And when you when you're getting good energy from your interviewer. You're, you really you get a sense that it's working out, and, and if you're getting good comments later on social media, even better. But at the end of the day, if you feel you've had a good, informative conversation, then that's the best you can hope for. Thanks very much, Dan. Uh, nice to have you as our uh, little <laughs> specialist at the end of the program. Thanks very much. So much to understand, media, entrepreneurs. You, you don't always realize it, but you're in the public eye more than you think. Uh, and as we approach the last moment of our program, as we do each week, we'll turn to our guest, Nick Melka of Miel MTL, and ask you, Nick, what would be your one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur? I think it's so important to understand your customer and be able for them to understand the value in your product and have something that's affordable. When we look at pricing, we always look at the fact of what you think your product is worth, but you also have to look at what are people ready to pay. And oftentimes, the best pricing strategy is to meet in the in the middle of what are people willing to pay and how much is your product worth. And to be able to have something that the customers can understand and relate to and be comfortable with and see the value is your best bet. And so we always look to look and take the time to analyze our customers, make sure they're well taken care of. And if you personally aren't willing to pay $13 or however much money for a honey, how can you expect your customers? Great. Thanks very much, uh, Nick. And uh, Dan, my little takeaway is if you're an entrepreneur, you need the ability to adapt. And I think Nick has, has shown that uh, certainly in, in his story. 
an entrepreneur can adapt. And if you can't adapt, well, maybe it's not cut out for you. But entrepreneur adapting, that's huge. Nick from Miel MTL, thank you so much for stopping by CJD this evening. Thank you, guys. Nick Melka of Miel MTL. Josh, you're off next week. Michael Newton will be in for you. So we'll see him and you back here next Monday night at 7 on Newstalk Radio, CJD 800.